millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Escape the ordinary with green and blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of the Moments That Made Me. The Weekend Podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Hello, I'm Esther McCarthy and welcome to a very special Moments That Made Me podcast celebrating International Women's Day 2021. The Irish Examiner, along with her partners Green and Blacks, hosted a live virtual event on March 8th, 2021. We invited our Irish Examiner writers and columnists Alison O'Connor, Clodagh Finn, Aoife Moore and Dervla O'Rourke to talk about what this year's theme of Choose to Challenge means to them, both in their personal and professional lives. We hear about how the mother and baby's home bill impacted on adoptee Clodagh Finn, the story behind Golfgate from Aoife Moore and how Covid has set back the women's movement significantly from Alison O'Connor. Dervil O'Rourke also opens up and is really honest about the struggle and the juggle of trying to do it all at home in this past extraordinary year. Our Managing Director of Irish Examiner and The Echo, Magella Gallagher, talks to us about choosing to challenge every single day, not just on March 8th, and launches the Irish Examiner's exciting new digital package. You can find out more about that at irishexaminer.com. We were also so, so honoured to have women's health advocate and all-around warrior woman, Vicky Phelan, who joined us from Maryland, USA, where she's currently undergoing pioneering cancer treatment. Vicky is such an incredible inspiration and we thank her so much for sharing her insights with us today. Enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome to our live virtual event with the Irish Examiner and our partners Green and Blacks to celebrate International Women's Day. And we're delighted to have you all with us. Thank you so much. And do you know what? Over a century ago in 1911, there was the first supporting group that came together to celebrate International Women's Day and there was over a million of them. So today we don't have quite that many but guys you can tag us at Irish Examiner so that we can share it with our community online as well and it's really exciting because it gives us an opportunity because it's virtual that we can gather in more and celebrate all together and it's not just one event as well you know when we're talking about International Women's Day we're trying to decide what will we do and we had Weekend Magazine on Saturday you might have got that where we had a diverse range of voices and women and Irish women that perhaps don't always get the the platform they deserve. So we're delighted to be able to do that. It was guest edited by Louise O'Neill with Vicky May. And if you didn't manage to get that, we do have home delivery. And when you get the home delivery, you can actually get the e-paper and you can go back and look at all the editions that you might have missed and download PDFs. And if your company has been mentioned in the paper, anything like that, you can just download it and have a look. So it's a, it's a lovely service. So we'd encourage you to go to irishexaminer.com if you want to sign up for some home delivery. And we're, again, when we were thinking about it, we were saying, okay, we're virtual we can do whatever we want and then we're saying do you know what 
we have some of the smartest, most opinionated, strong female voices writing for us. So why not listen to what they have to say and try to delve into a little bit more with them? So we're delighted to have Alison O'Connor, Claude Finn, Aoife Moore, Dervil O'Rourke and a very, very special guest, Vicky Phelan, today to chat to us about things that have impacted us all and influenced us all in the past year of this extraordinary year. And now I'm going to hand you over and I'd like you to please welcome the Irish Examiner and ECHO Managing Director. It's Magella Gallagher. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Welcome to our second Irish Examiner International Women's Day event. This time last year at our first event, we were celebrating with a breakfast briefing in the River Lee Hotel. That seems like such a long time ago, and I don't think any of us had any idea of what lay ahead and that 12 months later, we'd be celebrating in such a different way. However, we are delighted that we have been able to invite you to this virtual event sponsored by Green and Blacks. We very much hope you enjoy the next hour or so as we hear from our speakers. International Women's Day celebrates the achievement of women. It helps raise awareness of the diversity and inclusion agenda. But this needs our focus throughout the year for us to make a difference. Joyce Fegan's column in the Irish Examiner on Saturday makes this point really well. Diversity and inclusion is so important, not just for women, but for business and for society. This year has been a particularly difficult one for everyone, with lots of homeschooling, remote working, in some cases, job losses and pay cuts. We have all had to juggle a lot of different priorities and face many challenges. The impact of COVID, specifically on women, is an important issue that needs to be addressed. The UN has stated that on the front lines and at home, women are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Women are bearing the brunt of the economic and social impacts of this pandemic. This deserves discussion and debate so that solutions and supports can be identified. I mentioned last year that like a lot of other media organizations, we have traditionally had a higher percentage of men than women working with us. We still do. It isn't easy to change this, but that's not a good enough reason not to try. We have to start somewhere. It won't change overnight, but we are committed to making a difference and it remains a key focus in 2021. It's been a really busy 12 months for us here in the Irish Examiner and the Echo. We've had a lot of projects on the go. I mentioned last year that we were building our organization to become more digitally focused so that we could provide better digital and mobile content for our readers and provide better online advertising solutions to our clients and our customers. And I think we've made good progress. In the Irish Examiner, Sheila Riley, appointed into the post of Editorial Development Editor, is supporting our continuing pivot to digital journalism. We are now producing newsletters across news, sports, farming, and business. Our most recent is a political newsletter on the plinth from our deputy political editor, Elaine Lachlan. 50,000 readers have signed up to our push notification service, where you get a message alerting you to breaking news or stories that are relevant to you. We have moved into the world of podcasting across politics, news, and sports. Our features editor, Vicky May, hosts the Weekend Podcast, where she asks her guests to walk through their lives and pick moments that have shaped their lives. 
For a bit of fun and distraction, listen in to Ask Audrey, who is our in-house agony aunt. We now have 6.5 million page views to our irishexaminer.com site each week and 1 million to Echo Live. This gives our clients a platform and opportunity to advertise to a large audience of potential customers. Gemma Kelleher, our Media Solutions Director, would be delighted to hear from you and she and her team will be happy to provide you with any media solutions that you need. We have a bit of very exciting news coming up about a very important development that will be rolled out in the coming few weeks. We will launch a digital subscription service where you can sign up and become an Irish Examiner digital subscriber or choose to take out a bundle subscription which delivers the newspaper to your home through our home delivery service as well as digital access to our site. I think we have all seen how important quality, trusted journalism continues to be, perhaps more important now than ever in this world where there is so much white noise and fake news. Our subscriber service will provide the Irish Examiner with a new revenue stream, and in return, we will provide trusted news and content to our digital audience. Your support is so very important. Your continued loyalty to our news publications either online or in print, is essential for our future survival. But back to today, my thanks to Esther, our MC, who along with Vicky May, Gemma Kelleher and Karen O'Donoghue led the organisation of today's events. My thanks also to Irene, Aoife, Alison, Cloda and Darvel for agreeing to take part. And in particular to Vicky Phelan for accepting our invitation to get involved. To finish, Today is a day to celebrate and honour the achievements of women, but it's also a day to set ourselves a challenge for the year ahead. That each of us, individually and collectively, will work to ensure that women are not just involved, but empowered to make change. That women are not just included, but central to what's happening. That women are not just taking part, but leading. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Magella, for that. And as I was listening to you, I was remembering last year and I was actually getting a bit emotional when we were all in the River Lee, but I think it was because it was the last time I got a professional blow dry. <laughs> if I'd known it was the last time I'd do that, I would have enjoyed it more. God damn it. But we have had such an amazing year. And now we're going to go over to Alison O'Connor. She's a journalist, a broadcaster and author. She writes an amazing weekly column with us in the Irish Examiner. Check it out if you haven't already. And as a current affairs commentator, Alison appears regularly on TV and radio, so this will be no bother to her at all. It's live, Alison, it's fine. I'm shaking in my boots, but you're an old pro at this, it'll be fine. Her most recent book, It's a Yes, was co-written with the directors of the It's a Yes campaign, which examines the hugely successful female-led lads, choose to challenge, female-led, repeal the eighth campaign. Alison, how are you doing today? I'm good, Esther, and I think you've got down the most important thing. It doesn't matter what's going on underneath the water. You're looking as calm as a swan as you glide <laughs> along there. You're compared. Your legs are flapping. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Thank I you. I'm looking at the, the choose to challenge there behind you. And when I was reflecting on it earlier, I think part of the problem at the moment is if you gave a lot of women a choice about what they'd like to do right now, it would be to go to their beds and lie down in the fetal position for at least a week. Um, so the idea of there, being, of there being any further challenge after what we've put down for the last year is is a little bit a little bit daunting. But you know what? There's always good news, and I just got a great boost before I came on there to hear that Siobhan Cronin, formerly of this parish, 
has just been appointed the first female editor of the Southern Star newspaper. And I think that is just marvellous and showing that, that, you know, there's positive stuff going on despite the pandemic. And just before I came in here, I heard my 11 year old saying to her father, Dad, you have to be nice to me today. It's International Women's Day. And she's been promised one of these fabulous uh, brownies that uh, that we received. So I suppose it's trying to get things in, in balance at the moment. And that's a little difficult. And my concern after all of this is over is women getting their confidence back to go back out into the world and um, whether they have to try and, you know, to reestablish themselves in the workforce or if they've had a company that's folded or or something like that. I remember that myself going back after maternity leave. I can remember my older daughter and I took a year of maternity leave and the very first column I sat down to write when I went back and I had such a lack of confidence, you know, putting my fingers over the keyboard and thinking, can I still, can I still do this? I mean, I can still kind of feel that, that viscerally at the moment. And I guess if you look at the headlines today, it's about whether our Minister for Justice, an immensely talented politician, extraordinary to think in this day and age, the issue is surrounding how we can organise for her to take to take maternity leave, uh, which is quite an incredible thing. And that we have an assembly on a citizens' assembly on, on gender. And one of the issues it is discussing is, you know, the whole idea that within our constitution there is a, a provision which says that a woman's place is in, in the home. And that ties in with what I think happened and what I was trying to get at with the piece on Saturday, that almost overnight with the pandemic, it was like everything reverted back. I think it was almost like the male hunter gatherer instinct and the woman turned into almost the 1950s housewife, except in many cases, the woman had a job outside of the home as well and was trying to to balance it off. And, And in a lot of houses, the man is the main wage earner. And from my experience, anecdotally talking to people, and this isn't to do men down, you know, a lot of them are very involved, but that it's sort of they're up in the office or wherever their home office is, and they're doing that work and working hard, but that down below women are doing everything else that is there, including the the homeschooling. And the very fact that it's in the EU, 70%, 76%, actually, three quarters of healthcare workers are women. So, I mean, we've borne, you could see it as a shadow pandemic, if you like, the extra burdens that they've had throughout the last year. Absolutely. Thanks, Alison. And I think you summed it up as well in your piece in Weekend Magazine on Saturday. You said it's COVID has been a sucker punch to the cause. So we really need to work hard to get back, to get back to where we were and, and even further. Thank you so much for joining us, Alison. We really appreciate it. Happy International Women's Day. And to you, Esther. And now we're going to go next to our fabulous columnist, Clodagh Finn. Clodagh, we actually asked readers to send us in some um, questions when they were registering for the event and we kind of amalgamated them all to kind of ask each one what we're talking about. And a huge number came in talking about your women in history and how you spotlight the the invisible women who've done so much throughout history. And it's fascinating. You say, I see that like 50% of the world is women, Clodagh, but 0.05% are in written history. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your campaign to get us back into the spotlight and rewrite them in so we know all about them? Absolutely. It's shocking, you know, when I look back at our history books in school, like there's a slick of testosterone across it. It's all about military battles and parliament. And actually, when you look back, Esther, you'll find that women were involved in those things as well. And cues to challenge, like my challenge today is 
not only to people who work in the area of history, but for everybody to seek out the women in their own families who did things. I was delighted today, actually. I got a great kick out of compiling this. If you haven't got your Irish Examiner, go out and buy a copy today. On this day, she. And for International Women's Day, I said, can we look back at all the things that women have done? And there's one I want to pick out because it seems like perfect timing. Would you believe that the woman, and it was a woman, who invented the first commercially successful dishwasher was born on International Women's Day um, in 1839. And her name was Josephine Cochrane. And I'd love to tell you that she was an every woman who wanted to make sure that there'll be less drudgery in the kitchen. In fact, she, she was a society lady who was worried that the servants were chipping her heirloom china, you know. Nonetheless, she went into her shed and she invented something which I hope helps lots of households, women and men today. So today I'd say I loved earlier today on the radio, you might have heard a project about women in care went around their town putting up plaques to the women that had done things. And what I would say is to everybody out there to ask the stories of your aunts, your grand-aunts, your grandmothers, and write them down. Um, that's how history gets forgotten. Not only have we not valued what women do, but we've kind of, we get rid of where they record it. Um, one of the reasons that women's contribution to history isn't as to the fore as it should be is that it's written in diaries and it's written in letters. And we go all Marie Kondo and we chuck them out, you know? So I would say to people today, reclaim your own family's history. That's a lovely message. Thank you, Cloda. And speaking of family and history, you've written a lot in your column about how you'll actually remember, you know, we're all talking about COVID and 2020 and the lockdown of that, but you'll actually remember it as well as the year of the mother and baby's home bill passed through the doll. And as an adopted person yourself who passed through one of those institutions under investigation by the commission, would you mind sharing a little bit about that and how it feels to have your own history under the spotlight there. I suppose it's no accident that I'm interested in history because I had such a journey to find out my own. Um, as you said, I was born in St. Patrick's mother and baby home and I was 26 years old before I knew who I was. And I wrote a letter to the powers that be at the time, which was the health board, and it took seven years before I got a reply. And I was one of the lucky ones who did get a reply. And the reason I got a reply was because my birth mother was brave enough and gracious enough to also make contact. Um, but still, they had those two letters for four years before they put us together. And the reason I'm talking about it now, the last thing you want to do is to talk about this, you know, pain or missing piece you have inside you. But I will never forget how gutted I felt when the mothers and babies passed through law. For one thing, there was the idea that our father were going to be shut away again for 30 years. And I just thought there are people alive today who won't have the opportunity I had. And the second thing was the commission wanted to destroy the pieces of information that joined babies and their mothers. 
And there's a lot of talk about GDPR. I just want to say one thing about that, you know, and that because of data protection, you can't get your information. But if you turn on the television and you see an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? If I were a celebrity and I came to Ireland, people and historians would be rushing to give you your details. But if you are an adopted child, you do not as yet have a right to your details. And that works for mothers too. And people talk about it being in the past. It is not. This issue affects about 10,000 people directly and about 100,000 people if you take the extended family. And I just hope that it ends with us. And that's why I'm choosing to challenge the structures and the legislation that are in place so that this doesn't ricochet down the generations. Claudia, thank you so much for that. And it, it is so important, isn't it, that we people now speak up for the future generations because we have to learn. Yeah, we really have to learn from what's going on. But you could see the swell of support from the public. You that know, is and you can so heartening. I've never seen that before. That means so much. I feel, you know, I feel it's a very positive story because it shows what happens when people do choose to challenge. So get up there and make your voice heard. Absolutely. What a fabulous message to end on. Clodagh, thank you so much. And I have to mention, before I leave you go, about your book, I would recommend everyone should read it, A Time to Risk All. It tells the story of Mary Ellens, this Cork scholar who helped save hundreds of children from deportation to Nazi extermination camps. We have the bridge named after a lot. Thanks to you for there and your lovely um, book as well, the Through Her Eyes, the one that I, it's 20 capsule biographies of Irish women from the stone age right up to the digital present and it is such a fabulous read i really would recommend everyone to get their hands on that if they can and thank you for sharing your personal um journey with pleasure. us there as well that was much appreciated a pleasure esther great to see you there thank you you too i know we get to see people now you know like the, the phone, to actually see you yeah it almost feels like we're, we are chatting together so it's lovely so thank you so much for that bye Claude. happy international women's day and to you my dear and we're going to just have a tiny little break. Now, it's not even a break. It's just a stop from our interviews because when we asked you all to register, there was a lovely competition with Green and Black's, our partner. They have a wonderful, gorgeous prize. It's unbelievable. Um, it's a really, really lovely hamper full of all their gorgeous, wildly delicious, organic chocolate savour. And we have an, a winner now, and it's Esther McCartney. It's Lauren Kavanagh. <laughs> But Lauren, if you want to share, there's no problem. I'll give you my details. Congratulations, Lauren Kavanagh, on that beautiful green and black hamper. We hope you enjoy it. And we're going to move swiftly along now to our next panellist, and it's Aoife Moore. Aoife is the political correspondent for Irish Examiner. She's based in Dublin, but this is a Derry girl through and through. She was born there during the peace process, and Aoife has won awards for her coverage of Northern Ireland. Now, talking about awards... For the next, uh, when we're looking back on the next year, Aoife actually broke the biggest story in Irish politics in 2020 when 80 public figures, we'll all remember this, they attended a golf dinner during the height of the COVID-19 regulations and restrictions. And she has also paid special attention to women's issues in her career to date. And I hear that she's 30 next week. So no pressure, Aoife, you know, you've done this much for 30 years. We'll see what the next few years bring because you have gone into detailed investigations into the harassment to lone parents um, on social welfare. You have looked at sexual harassment in politics and you've also 
investigated the profits made by private companies who provide the accommodation for asylum seekers. So like really, really important um, issues that you're, you're looking at that tend to affect women more so. But to get back to Golfgate, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I'm just fascinated just by the backstory there. And it is really kind of like a man's kind of club that you went in and you, you, you broke that first. Could you tell us a little bit about the background there, Aoife, and how the story came to be and how you got involved in it? Yeah, so it was uh, in the summer, uh, August. Um, it was a really nice day, I remember that. started out as uh, we actually thought it was going to be a pretty quiet day. Um, I was out at a press call with the Minister for State, uh, Josepha Madigan, about reopening um, special schools for the summer. And I had gone to a cafe to sit with my laptop and file the story. And an email came in from someone and it was the seating chart for the Arctic Gulf Society dinner in Clifton. And I had texted my colleague, Paul Hosford, and said, have you seen this email? And he said, yeah. And I said, will we take a look? And he said, yeah. So the first thing I did was I phoned the hotel. Um, I didn't say I was a journalist. I was quite easy breezy on the phone to the receptionist because I, I didn't want to spook her either. So I just said, hi, how's it going? Um, I'm just wondering, did the Arctic Gulf Society event go ahead? And she said, yeah, yeah, I wasn't working. Um, yeah, I went ahead last all went great. There was around 80 people there. And I remember being on the phone and thinking, all right, okay. And I said, that's fine. Thanks very much. Hung up. And then we obviously had the guest list. And Paul and myself just hit the phones all day. I had to leave the cafe after half an hour or an hour because of health regulations. And then went home and we just dropped everything we were supposed to do that day. We just dropped uh, every other story and phoned every number that we had of every person that was on the list. And it became pretty clear early on that something was wrong because the, the men, because it was mostly men, I didn't speak to one woman that day about it, uh, started lying to us about who was there, what the room looked like, how many people were there. And it was when they started lying, we were getting conflicted stories from different politicians that we realized we were on to something and it just kind of snowballed there. The story went online at seven o'clock. I had foolishly tried to go to the gym because it was getting looked over by solicitors and editors and thought, all right, I'll just go to the gym. I was on the treadmill and it got posted online around seven o'clock and by quarter past seven, I didn't get off the treadmill and go home. My phone was on fire. Everyone from radio stations to RTE to other politicians, so just went home and <laughs> get to go to the gym. I love that you're on a treadmill when you saw it all exploding. That's brilliant. <laughs> and come here, like just I think we're all when we look back in the year, you know, the professional and all that, but from a personal perspective, you've had a few challenges as well in that, like most people, you've had to, you know, we've all had to just put everything to the side for a while. But you had a big uh, occasion that you've had to postpone a couple of times. Do you want to tell us about that, Eva? Yeah, it's actually ironic that myself and Paul broke golf games about this big dinner because we've actually both had to put off our weddings. So I'm now on my fourth wedding date. It's been moved. I fully moved it now to next year, next July, because... I don't have the mental bandwidth to move it again. So I thought I'll move it to the furthest possible date out so everyone will be vaccinated. So 
it's the 29th of July next year. Um, I have a very expensive wedding dress that's been lying in my wardrobe for the guts of <laughs> the day after Golfgate because the girl from the wedding shop wanted me go, to go and get it. So, yeah, I put it off. But then, you know, the pandemic and COVID-19 has affected so many people. And I'm incredibly lucky in one sense that I still have my grandparent, my granddad's still alive. We haven't had any, we've had some COVID in the family, but it hasn't been really bad. No one's had too hard. So I've been incredibly lucky in other ways because I know other people really haven't. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. That, well, congratulations. And we hope the weather will be lovely and vaccines will be everywhere by, by your next date. And um, I'll buy a hat, Aoife, so we'll, we'll talk about that later. OK, that's great. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> us, Aoife. <laughs> Thank you. It was lovely to get that perspective. Thank you. Happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. And now we're going to move on to something we pre-recorded earlier in the week. We spoke to Dervla Rourke. Um, she's a professional track athlete and she's travelled all over the world competing in sprint hurdles, including, you know, just three Olympic Games, no big deal. And the highlight of her career being crowned world champion in 2006 in Moscow. Derville then turned her focus elsewhere after Olympics 2012 and she went to Dublin Cookery School. She decided, you know, why not use my inspiration as a professional athlete? And she came up with a best-selling healthy cookbook called Food for the Fast Lane. She followed that with Fit Foodie. And then she also went on to create her website, derville.ie. It's a one-stop site for health and well-being from fitness classes to nutritious recipes. She also writes for the Irish Examiner Weekend magazine every Saturday. And Derville and her husband, a two-time Olympian, Peter O'Leary, have a daughter and a son. And here's what we chatted about earlier in the week with Derville. Hi, Derville. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Esther. How are you? I'm loving the hairband. It's gorgeous. Very nice. That is because my roots are so horrendous that this is this is the only option I have left now. And I like at this stage, I think my hair is just starting to look like it's a fashion that my roots <laughs> are so bad, and it's not, Esther. This is not by choice. This is by the life we're living in. I hear you. I have a hat collection that I'm making very good use of these days. <laughs> so we're talking Dude, about. I know. I know. Hats are great. Um, so International Women's Day, Derval. Usually we'd be talking about celebrating achievement, increasing our visibility and challenging all the things in our lives. But this year, we're just really celebrating staying alive, aren't we? We're managing to keep ourselves and our family all in one piece and inside and away from harm. And the challenges are, have been completely different this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the past year, a year ago, I did an event for a charity for International Women's Day. And um, it was the last event I actually did in person. And then the world kind of closed down. And I think for the past year, like when I reflect and I look back to last year, like to International Women's Day last year, I think we we talk so much about like being ambitious and wanting to thrive in life. And like, I would be a very ambitious person. But actually, when I look back, I'm like, this is about survival. Like this is about like getting through, minding yourself, trying to take care of like the people within your four walls and kind of just reducing your expectations on yourself because it has been, I think, incredibly challenging. And I know I'm probably biased, but I think it's been challenging for women. I certainly felt it. I felt like once the world started to close, um, you know, I have two young children and I felt like all of a sudden there was so much more responsibility on me and that support system sort of disappeared overnight. And yeah, I find the last year really, really hard. Um, 
But I do think we're starting to come out of it. Um, I think anybody, all of us who've gotten through it, I think you need to be really proud of yourselves. Like, I'm delighted with myself. I think it's amazing. <laughs> um, and yeah, things will get better. Things will get better. And, you know, I think it is important to actually say it was hard. You know, if we can hear the two Olympians trying to run a house or is finding hard, then it's okay for the rest of us. Or even just your friend or the other moms at, at, at school. When you hear, listen, this actually is really difficult. I'm the only one at home. My job is becoming second because my husband's going out. Or, you know, did you find that the kind of balance and the shift in trying to prioritize work and home and feeding and bathing and like you've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old, Daphne's five and Archie's one, is he? Like they don't know that you're... <laughs> anything's different they just want the same things they've always had from you like have you found that juggle a struggle I found the identity of like who does what and the roles kind of straight away got kind of thrown into chaos when it first happened because like I work for myself like I am my own boss but it's both a blessing and a curse it always has been since I've had kids because a part of my ambition to work for myself is that I can be flexible when it comes to the kids. Um, but then when you're the one that can be flexible when it comes to the kids, then you kind of get landed with most of the caring when you're in the middle of a pandemic. And for us, like that's something we absolutely had to figure out because I was, you know, trying to run my business, um, but also trying to do like get all the meals on the table every day, um, make sure everybody was okay, try and figure out all the homework situation and the homeschooling, which I realized I was horrendous at very quickly. Um, so for me, like it has, yeah, it's def I've definitely found all that stuff kind of difficult. But now I feel like the point where we're at now, like that we're, let's be honest, we're all like a year in. Like I think definitely in my household, we're coming to a better point in that, or we've come to a better point in that. I think I'm much better at saying like, hang on a second here, like, who, let's sit down and write down everything and let's give out jobs let's give out roles who's doing what um I need time I need to be a priority in this family too it can't just be everybody else um and I think as women we're not great at doing that and particularly I think after I became a mom I got worse at doing that but definitely I've had to kind of pull that back a bit in the past year that is so hard to say, even as you said it, I kind of inwardly cringed because we're just not used to actually saying, I'm a priority, you know, like I need my breakfast too. I need to be, you know, I need to be fed. And it's just so hard for us as women because it's just this, and it's mostly our own fault. You know, we, we kind of have this, these high expectations and we, we want to do it. And then we realize we actually can't and we need to ask for the help. But when the only other help is within your four walls, it's, it can just get so frustrating, can't it? And like, what I think is brilliant is like you're saying you're, you're a business owner, you're, your business is helping others, you know, with their food, their focus, their mental health, their physical health. You know, that is your job. And you have to then apply it to yourself at home. Like, was it a strange kind of dichotomy for you to kind of take the tips that you've, you know, probably came very easily to you all your life that, you know, that focus, that ambition, this is what I have to do, tick, my goal is done. Like, was it harder this time when you had to apply it to yourself and your family life, maybe? Definitely harder. It's funny, like with my business, there's de there was definitely like a selfishness in setting up my business because it almost gave me permission to stay in the world of health and fitness because my business is health and fitness, you know, like I've been on in communities, like 9,000 women on there. And I got to kind of work as like staying fit, being healthy. And then when the pandemic hit, like we got so busy with the community, which was amazing. Um, 
we resourced that really well, put really brilliant experts in place. And like, I was so passionate about that. But yet then on the flip side of it, like I was wrecked myself loads of the time. Um, and I was burning the candle at both ends with family and with work and the kids would go to bed. Then I'd be on the laptop trying to get everything done. Um, so I did have to have a word with myself and be like, okay, like you're not a magical creature. Like you're, how do you think you can get all of this stuff done? Like it's not realistic. And once I did that, actually, I took the pressure off myself and it became easier to mind myself. But I do think minding yourself is one of the hardest things we'll do as women. Like, I think you will say yes to your boss and work. You'll say yes to the kids. You'll say yes to whatever your husband, your other half wants you to do, your other family, your friends. But actually to say yes to yourself and to carve out that time for yourself and to mind yourself for some reason, I think we all find it quite hard. And it's about... I think maybe, and I don't, I hate using the word empowering too much, but it is kind of empowering yourself to be like, I need to mind myself. Like you're with yourself for your whole life, you know, and <laughs> from so when you're born to when you die, you have yourself. So why would you not mind yourself in that relationship with yourself, you know, as opposed to always being so worried about everybody else and everyone else is brilliant, but like you're better for everyone else. I think if you're minding yourself. 100% you're dead right and even though you're not a unicorn and a magical creature if you could <laughs> I don't want to believe it you know but okay we, we're all just struggling here and Dervil just before we go I'd love to ask you you know now that I have that time to because there's so the motivation Monday you do all the recipes in the Irish Examiner that we love and actually can make for someone like me who's um, not the best in the kitchen they're so achievable and so doable so thank you for that but is there any other like if there was one thing you that we take away today to try would you give us like your one go-to tip if you just feel a bit overwhelmed or just something that you know works for you that we could try ourselves Okay, I will give you the tip, but before I give you the tip, I'm going to say I actually miss my examiner readers because I've been writing Aww. for so long for the examiner now and I bump into them in so many places. But in the past year, my life has obviously become so much smaller. I'm not seeing people as much. So I actually am missing everybody that I see that goes, oh, I just I made your stew there from last weekend or I made oh, your flapjack. So I am missing them, but I know we'll get back to seeing people. Um, okay, my one tip. Okay, there's no one perfect tip. I don't mm. have a magic wand, but I what I would say is keeping things simple, right? I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed all the time and I sit down with a pen and paper and I take out my phone, like I have my phone here and I put on a stopwatch for 10 minutes and whatever it is that's stressing me out, like I start to figure it out in the 10 minutes. I literally start to write and I'm there and I'm like, okay, and I won't let anything else come into that 10 minutes time. Like I'll say to my husband, I literally need 10 minutes and I'm, I need to be on my own with my thoughts, not looking at the phone, just having the phone to time and I start to figure it out. And like, I think that's a really good thing. I think just taking, like removing yourself from a situation and the stresses and just stopping, being present with it. And start, like, for me, it's writing it down. That's how I figure things out. And um, for someone else, it might be something else. But I do think removing yourself, taking those few minutes, like who doesn't have 10 minutes? Like someone will hold it down for you for 10 minutes. I know it's really hard, particularly with kids, but do take those few minutes and just try and kind of calm yourself a little and figure it out because most of the time you have those tools and skills within you to figure it out. Daryl, thanks a million. Thanks so much for joining us and for being so honest and open and sharing all the saying it's okay not to be okay sometimes as well as lovely to hear. So thank you. Exactly. Okay, thanks for having me. Bye. And that was Daryl work there sharing that 10-minute tip with us that I'm definitely going to try. Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. 
a selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. Our special guest today, and we're all so privileged and honoured that she took time out to join us. She's over in the US at the moment. It's a woman who epitomises the whole concept of challenging and changing. Vicky Phelan uses her voice to speak and to advocate for all of us. And she never actually asked for this. She never set out to be a national campaigner. When Vicky was first diagnosed with cervical cancer in July 2014, her only concern were her children, Amelia and Dara, and of course her recovery. She underwent aggressive treatments and then she was given the all clear. In September 2017, during a routine checkup, she was told by her gynaecologist that an audit carried out by cervical check found that her 2011 smear test had been reported as a false negative. Weeks later, the CT scan revealed that the cancer had returned. Why am I getting emotional? Oh my God, this woman is like <laughs> killing us all and doing everything for us and... I am going to stop being silly now. So this time the diagnosis was terminal. Left alone with her patient file, Vicky flipped it open and quickly realised that something was wrong relating to her smear history and her cervical check. And what a woman, like, what a woman to do that, you know. She's amazing. She decided to contact a lawyer and by April 2018, she was outside the four courts making an explosive statement to all the journalists waiting there. And she has challenged the political system, the medical system, and she's doing it for us and for future generations and for all the women of Ireland. And we're so grateful to her and we, we owe her such a debt. And I'll tell you now, we were always trying to keep this very tight and very, very close with time because we know everyone here is so busy and we're so glad that you joined us. But we got an interview um, with Vicky, our feel-good editor, Irene Feehan, has a very close relationship with her. And the, the conversation went on and it was actually 19 minutes, 20 minutes at the end. And we were saying, OK, what will we do? Will we cut it? And we said, who are we to cut a syllable or a breath of what Vicky Feehan tells us? So we're going to run the conversation with Irene and Vicky in full. So just to warn you guys, we might go over the hour. Yeah, you're more, you know, if you need to sign off, there's no problem. We actually will have the full unedited um, version of all this on our examiner.com site afterwards if you want to come back to it. But we'd love if you could stay and join us and listen to the conversation between Feel Good Editor Irene Feehan and Vicky Feehan over in Maryland, USA. Thanks. If ever a person embodied the hashtag choose to challenge, it's warrior woman Vicky Feehan. She's joining us today from Maryland, USA, where she's undergoing pioneering treatment for cervical cancer. Vicky, thank you for celebrating International Women's Day with us. Not at all, Irene. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. We're delighted to see you. This year's symbol for International Women's Day is a hand raised as if to say stop. So when are the key times in your life when you raised a hand to say stop, I'm not accepting this? Well, I suppose in my life, there have been a number of occasions when I've had to raise my hand and stay, say stop, mm. unfortunately. Um, I suppose the first time uh, was at you know, a very young age. I was 18. I had a very bad car crash in France during my year abroad with university. And I had to say stop, uh, you know, relating to my medical care. The next time, I suppose, that I really had to, you know, raise my hand and say stop was during my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So my first pregnancy, I had a very complicated pregnancy. My daughter was born with a rare condition. And, I, you know, again, I had to intervene at a, a point where, you know, something happened with the, I had, was having an amniocentesis. And, you know, there was a comment made and I, I just wasn't quite happy with it. And um, I suppose the two, you know, famous times that I've had to say stop 
really were um, in January 2018 when my cancer came back. And um, I was really being given no options except for palliative chemotherapy. And I chose to say stop and, you know, just didn't accept what I was being offered. And then I suppose the one that I'm most proud of really uh, was during my court case. So I was asked, I was being asked at the time um, when I took my court case to prove that I had been misdiagnosed to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which is quite common in a lot of medical negligence cases. But I refused because I knew there were other women in the same position as me. And um, I, I just, uh, I could not accept uh, that this, uh, you know, was being asked of me, to be quite honest. So so I, so I, I chose to challenge that and, and refuse to sign that agreement. So there, there are some examples, but I've had lots, you know, quite a lot of, of medical ones, actually. Indeed. Yeah. And so if you draw all those experiences together, those life-changing experiences together, what would you say the main learning has been for you? Um, I suppose I've learned three things, really, um, from all of my experiences. Trust your body. I suppose that's one of the huge ones that I've learned, because I suppose most of my experiences of challenging the system have come from from challenging the medical profession, really, and and the health system. So I think as women, we don't trust our bodies enough. Um, And I I, I suppose I, I wonder why, because... As women, we, we, we have this innate um, understanding of our bodies and we know when something isn't right for us. Yet we you know, often kind of accept what we're being told or, or that maybe it's in our heads. But I think, you know, you know your body better than anybody else. So trust your body more and trust your gut. For me, it certainly hasn't got, got, you know, got me wrong at all. You know, I've always trusted what my body has told me. Um, I suppose secondly... Um, I wouldn't be alive today if I hadn't, um, you know, stood up for myself, really. Uh, The second thing is when you do trust your body and you do think something is wrong, you have to speak out, you know. And I think there's a huge um, reluctance on the part of women. You know, we don't trust ourselves. We don't have that confidence that men tend to have in spades. um, And we don't like speaking up. We feel that, you know, we shouldn't, that we're supposed to be nice. And, you know, you're not supposed to challenge or, or raise your voice. But, you know, I would say, you know, absolutely speak up. Because, you know, particularly when it comes to your health, you know, nobody knows your body better than you. And if you don't speak up uh, and something happens to you, I mean, it's your life at the end of the day and nobody's going to advocate for you better than you. Um, So, you know, definitely speaking out is the best thing I've ever done, to be quite honest, Um, for for lots of reasons. You know, I think when I started speaking out, particularly about my depression and my experience of, you know, the awful side effects from cervical cancer, it just lifted a huge weight off my Mm -hmm. shoulders, Irene, to Mm -hmm. speak about these that are unspeakable you know I just felt women started sharing their stories and I just felt that I wasn't on my own so Mm -hmm. I often feel that if women spoke up more we would have you know a shared understanding and sharing of that with other women which I I have found um, has only been good for me really the third thing I would say to people is believe in yourself and Mm -hmm. stop caring about your what other people think and particularly in a medical situation you know, you're not friends with your doctor. I always say that to people. You know, the relationship with your doctor is not a friendly relationship. It's a service. Your doctor's providing a service. When we get carpenters in, I was trying to think of an example that everybody mm. would do the same. You know, if you get a carpenter in to put down new floors uh, and you're not happy with it, I mean, very few of us would, um, you know, not say something if we weren't happy with new floors in our kitchen. Mm. Um, yet when it comes to our health and our bodies, mm. you know, few of us speak up and, and challenge mm. what a doctor is saying particularly when we're not happy. And I often wonder why. I mean, you only get one life, one body, you know, so speak up. 
at the end of the day, it's a service the doctor is providing and you should be allowed and, and, and expected, to be quite honest, to, to challenge that service. So, Vicky, girls have traditionally been raised with the idea that you don't speak out of place, that you're nice at all times. Now, it seems to me in some ways that you never got that memo. Or is there a choice that you made someplace along the line to do things differently? I think I was just very lucky with the parents I was born into, to be quite honest, Irene. My parents, I think because they were younger, mum and dad mm. were only 19 and 20 when they had me, you know, and I think that has stood to them. You know, they were always that bit more cool, as was I was always seen as one with cool parents. They were very liberal. Um, and mum and dad, you know, saw from a very early age that I was very stubborn and encouraged it. You know, so mum said from about the age of three, I knew my own mind and I knew what I wanted. You know, there's that famous story in my book where I marched up to the teacher uh, you know, my mother brought me to the school and I, I said I wanted to go to school. And I, I, I just I was driving my mother crazy at mm. home because I wanted to go to school. And I was reading at that stage at the age of three. Mm. Um, so my mother thought the teacher would tell me, no, you can't go to school. But he didn't. He said, sure, look, we'll see how she gets on. And he thought after a couple of weeks, I get, you know, wouldn't be able for it. But sure, I was. Mm. So, I mean, at the age of three, three and a half, I knew mm. exactly what I wanted. And my parents encouraged that. Mm. They didn't try and talk me out of things. Mm. And I, I just think as parents, you know, you need to, with girls in particular, foster that at home. You know, let mm. them have the healthy debates at home and be able to speak their mind at home because if they don't develop that at home they're not going to be able to do it in school sure. or in the workplace yeah. so that that would be my advice and yet sometimes there's a negative connotation about women who do speak out and do speak their mind there is yeah often women that have uh, you know strong opinions or um you know are seen as careerist um or speak out you know, in, in groups are seen as challenging or difficult mm. or, or bitches. You know, the word bitch is often used mm. an awful lot to describe yeah. strong women. And, yeah. and you know, I, I embrace that. I actually, you know, kind of think, you know, I say to women, instead of looking at it as a negative, I would mm. say, you know, embrace it. Because I think if somebody sees you as a bitch, and I've seen it um, on patient files, you know, yeah. at one particular point when I was, you know, advocating for my daughter, um, you know, in the margins on the on, on her file was, you know, challenging mother or difficult mother, something like that. And instead of being mad about it, which I wasn't, I thought, well, you know, good. I'm glad they see me as difficult or challenging mm. because I think they have more respect for you, to be quite honest. Mm. And I think they're more wary of what they say to you. That sometimes that can be a negative, but mostly it's a positive because they tend to answer your questions more and they're always more prepared, I think, mm. when they know you're going to be challenging them. So I would say embrace it, because I think mm. if we embraced it more and kind of leaned into being mm. strong women, yes. I think more women would want to mm. um, aspire to it, because a lot of women tend to shy away from that because they don't want to be seen as difficult. But I don't think being seen as difficult is a, is a bad thing. I've only found it as a positive, to be quite honest, in my um, experience. So I would say lean into it, really. And you say we have a lot to learn from being mothers as well, because it's for, for most women, it's a life changing experience and it also brings mm. out a great inner strength. So what have you learned from being a mother and what can we learn as well from our strengths as mothers? Yeah, I mean, for me, having my children was absolutely a life changing experience. Mm. Um, it was good, but it was also bad. Uh, but I've also learned from the bad, I think. And I think we have to do that, too, that, you know, sometimes we're led to believe that having children is this wonderful, amazing thing and you're mm. supposed to be overjoyed. And that's not always the case, Irene, and it certainly wasn't for me. Mm. Um, I know when I had my first child, I, you know, went into a terrible, almost two years of, you know, really terrible postnatal depression. Now, it was precipitated by, you know, a, a really complicated pregnancy. My daughter was born with a very rare medical condition. So there was reasons for it. Mm. But I mean, again, by the time my daughter was born, 
everybody was fixated on the child and nobody really was looking mm-hmm. at me and how this mm-hmm. impacted me. So I was kind of left to figure it out on my own. Uh, and I often think if I had known to look out for symptoms or signs of postnatal depression, mm-hmm. I think I'd have picked it up sooner and it mightn't have gotten as bad. So I would often say to women, and I certainly felt a certain amount of shame as well, Irene. I mean, I didn't tell anybody I was feeling the things I was feeling because I kind of thought, how can I tell people I don't love my daughter or that I resent her? And I carried that around for so long. And that gets in on your on your head and on, on how you feel. And I often think if I'd, if I'd spoken out sooner, I think it would have been much easier for me to deal with it. Because by the time I realized that actually, you know, I don't hate my child this is depression. Uh, and once I started looking at options and, and, and getting therapy and I went on antidepressants and uh, I did acupuncture, I went running, I tried lots of different mm-hmm. things and I found things that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And once that lifted and I kind of got uh, understood what, what the disease was, you know, I realized then that, uh, you know, I did actually love my child. It was it was the depression that was causing a lot of feelings Mm. and that's a huge you know I often think god I feel so sorry for women who are struggling in silence so that's why I've spoken out so vocally about it because I think it's something that a lot of women go through in silence Mm. and feel ashamed and we shouldn't feel ashamed because it's not it's not Mm. uh, you know a perfect um you know, what we see on Instagram, it's often a very difficult yeah. time. You know, lots of women have complications after pregnancy, mm. uh, even if they're only small ones like a tear and, and they don't talk about them. Mm. So I think we need to have more open conversations. Sure. Um, but, you know, once I got over the postnatal depression and kind of, you know, got into being a mother, you know, I, I loved it mm. um, and I love my children. You know, I have to say, you know, of all the things I've done in my life, my two children are the best yeah. things that have come out of it sure. because it's an unconditional love, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. you don't get that same love from anybody Yes. And I'm aware in your Twitter handle that you, the first word you describe yourself is as mother. So that's your, you see yeah. a prime role in life. And I'm wondering from that prime role then as well, about the strength that you learned. And like you've spoken before about other women needing to learn about that, that determination they have around about their children to protect and defend their child, to use it for their own self and in their own lives as well. Absolutely. I mean, I often wonder, I often think if women channeled that absolutely fierce maternal Mm. drive that we have to protect our children um, into, you know, advocating for themselves, my God, we'd be powerful. You know, when you think about it, like, I mean, I can guarantee it, any woman listening out there who is a mother, I mean, if your child is sick and you you can see or think that your child is not getting the care that they need, I mean, none of us would think twice about challenging that care, would we? But why do we not do it for ourselves? That's what I, you know, and ask, I think mm. you need to ask yourself that question. Mm. You know, you, you know, at the end of the day, if you ask yourself the question, why am I not advocating for myself like I do for my child? And if I don't advocate for myself, and in my case, you know, the question I had to ask myself was, well, if I don't, I'm not going to be here to be a mother to my children. And sometimes if you kind of put yourself in that situation and say, well, you know, in order to be the best mother I want to be, I have to advocate as strongly for myself as I do for my children. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we would make huge strides if we could do that for ourselves. Okay. Um, there's, you're a hero to a lot of women. And the, I, there was a lovely phrase that I came across in Instagram. Somebody called, said, you're the best of us, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, uh, and I'm wondering, who are the women that have inspired you down through the decades? I really had to think very hardly about this because I suppose... I never really had these massive role models when I was growing up, like famous ones, you know. But when I thought about it, you know, you really had to m- made me think about this now, Ari, you know, is there my, who am I, you know, who are my role models? And really it boiled down to, like, at the very early stages, one, 
and she'll be delighted and she'll probably cry when she reads this, but it's my aunt and she's also my godmother. My aunt was my role model growing up because I, she, she, she just, I used to look at her and I'd be in awe and thinking she was like this otherworldly woman because she wasn't married like her start. You know the way I, so I think I, I aspired to be like her because I thought she, she kind of forged her own path. And on top of being kind of independent and not kind of going down the road, everybody else did and getting married and having children. She had a, a, a disability. She mm. had spina bifida. She had been taken out of school at a young age, but she never let that stop her. Mm. She went off and did, you know, she didn't do her leaving service, but she went back and did all these courses. And, you know, by the time she retired two or three years ago, she, you know, uh, retired at a very high level uh, clerical grade officer in, in the civil service. So, I mean, she, you know, she achieved very huge amount but I never looked at her and saw a disability it's interesting you know um yeah all I all I saw was a powerful woman and she was a huge inspiration to me and what was her name Vicky Anne Anne Fitzgerald and uh yeah so I mean she used to have me up on weekends on top of her job she worked as a treasurer for a motor club so I'd be up kind of you know licking envelopes and putting on stamps and I mean I used to love going up to her because I I just saw this woman who was always traveling had her own car her own job so she was my first real role model I suppose when I thought about kind of famous ones uh, one that sprung to mind was Mary Robinson because Mm. she was uh, she became president in the early 90s when I was at that kind of age you know I think I was 14 or 15 when Mary Robinson became president yes and I remember watching it at the time thinking wow this is amazing you know we've got a female president and I actually met Mary um, a couple of years ago at an event and um, it was interesting I was totally shell-shocked and you know didn't know what to say <laughs> and of course I said the wrong thing because you know me um, I, I, I speak my mind and I remember saying to Mary, she was kind of saying how she was, you know, absolutely honoured to meet me. And I was there, are you joking me? You know, and uh, she said, uh, you know, I admire your strength and, you know, your soul. You know how, you know exactly what you want. And I just said, Asha, Mary, you know, I'm just a stubborn bitch. And she went, oh, the, the words were out of my mouth. And I thought, oh, I can't believe I said that to Mary Robinson. She started laughing. Yeah. And she said to me, she said, Vicky, you're exactly like me, she said. But I prefer the term sophisticated bad girl. I just love oh, that. Oh, what I a great exchange. <laughs> what a wonderful exchange, Vicky. I just I love that. So Vicky, can we perhaps just go back to where we started then? So with the choose to challenge and the hand up to say stop. So I'm asking for the women who are watching this today, if you were to say, put the hand up and say stop, what, what would you say in terms of encouraging these women to choose to challenge in their own lives? So I would say, uh, you know, it is a difficult time for everybody at the moment. And I think women are really bearing the brunt of it. Um, You know, it's mostly women who are working on the front line. It's women who are juggling, um, you know, working at home and homeschooling the kids. And it is really difficult for women. But I would just say to women, you know, we're very hard on ourselves. And if you were to choose to challenge, you know, only one or two things in your daily life at the moment, for me, the two important ones are, for ourselves and for our kids. So for ourselves as women, you know, stop comparing yourself to other women because I know I was certainly guilty of it. I'd look at Mary down the road and think she had a better life than me. She had the career, uh, you know, you know, perfect figure and you know, the high achieving kids. You know, nobody knows what's happening behind Mary's door. And, 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 that, that is, and I have discovered that, you know, over the years, you know, about people I would have thought had the perfect life. So stop comparing yourself to other women and, and just compare yourself 
against yourself and your mm. own achievements and you know believe in yourself more i mean i often think that i lacked a huge amount of confidence people might not believe that but i didn't i wouldn't have been the person who spoke up in work um and once i started doing that and believed in myself more and thought well what's the worst thing that could happen you know things happened and people actually listened to my ideas so i think you know believe in yourself more and and, and kind of ask yourself the question well what's the worst thing that can happen mm. you know you're not going to die you're not going to drop dead yeah. so do the thing that mm. you want to do whether that's asking a question or bringing up something in work or or doing something for yourself you know because i think women are, tend to be very poor at doing stuff for themselves particularly when there's children involved we always yeah. put the children first yes. and it's not being selfish by putting yourself first not at all children will see a far stronger role model if you start doing things for yourself. And for our children, I suppose, the one thing I would say that you can do for our children is, um, particularly for our girls, is encourage them to be, you know, if, if, you know, why do we not encourage more girls into sport, for example? You know, girls tend to give it up at a very early age uh, and often it's because of puberty and they start having periods. But why? You know, periods are an everyday fact of life. My 10-year-old son knows all about periods. He knows what happens to his older sister every month. And I think we need to have these conversations at home and normalize it, not just for our girls, but for our boys, so that mm -hmm. boys know that mm -hmm. this is a normal way of life for girls and that this is what happens every month. Mm -hmm. um, and also, as far as careers are concerned, we're all very guilty of kind of, you know, telling our girl, you know, encouraging our girls to go for jobs that are nurses or teachers or why, why, you know, if, if a girl expresses an interest in becoming an engineer or something that's more uh, kind of male oriented, encourage her, you know, don't be telling her, you know, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. So, you know, encourage our girls to be who they want to be. Uh, and I think if they get that encouragement at home, it will make all the difference and we'll have stronger women coming, coming out and, you know, and, and uh, yeah, everybody will be happier. Vicky, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciate your input. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today for our Irish Examiner International Women's Day virtual live event. We were delighted to have everyone join us. We'd like to thank our partner, Green and Blacks. We'd like to thank all the incredible Irish Examiner team who put everything together and did all the work in the background. Thank you to the incredible panel of speakers. Thank you to V Studio Corks. Thank you to our managing director, Magella Gallagher. And thank you to the sophisticated bad girl who is Vicky Phelan. Thank you to everyone who joined us and happy International Women's Day from all the team at Irish Examiner. Sound and editing by JJ Vernon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.